Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. Welcome into another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. So happy that you are here with us yet again for another fun top five countdown. We're here to make you cringe this evening, however, but hopefully we'll make you cringe in a fun way. Uh, I know it was fun for me. I use the word fun in air quotes to research some of the scenes that I'm going to be talking about tonight. But this is Gerald with you. The other P on the pod this week is back for the second time. He's a good friend of the show. He's a patron of the show. And that's interesting to note because he was able to select a topic as a patron. And he chose this one. And I don't know if he's trying to torture me. Perhaps... Perhaps like some of these scenes went down that I'm going to be talking about. But Julio is here from the Contrarians podcast. I love Julio, and he's back. Welcome to the show, man. How are you? Hello. It's good to be back. Yeah, man. So why don't you tell everybody what you came up with? This is a topic that you handpicked. So what are we counting down tonight? So tonight we're doing uh, cringe-worthy moments, or or cringiest moments in movies, Mm -hmm. uh, which... Which I think ended up being kind of a broad topic, because uh, I was pretty sure that it only meant one thing, and then you hit me with a different take on it, and it makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, let's talk about that then, because I, I, I was surprised also to hear that. Um, and then when I saw some of the fan feedback, which we'll talk about later, they're right. I mean, there's like, I, I don't know, where do you, because there's like a embarrassing moments, and then there's like cringy moments. So where right. are you? Where's your list coming from without giving away any titles? Uh, well, so... That's like the beauty of the richness of the English language, I guess, mixed with the the endless possibilities of cinema. Right, <laughs> sure. This. There are so many options because I uh, I think that you have intentional cringe, right? For a movie that wants to make you cringe, either by uh, having awkward moments uh, or or having something that's just very difficult to watch. It mm-hmm. makes you cringe. You, you just like cover your eyes, or you look away, or you feel awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, but that can be intentional or it can be unintentional. And uh, that's kind of more the way I leaned. Uh, thinking of movies where I felt awkward, but not because the movie wanted me to. It was because uh, the humor wasn't working or because what oh. was going on in screen was just uh, kind of embarrassing. Not so much for me, but, uh, you know, sometimes you're watching something. When you watch like a, a stand-up comedian bombing or you, you just watch, you right. know, you're not rooting against them, but you just feel bad. And then you feel awkward for the people that are watching it with you. Uh, I'm sure everybody has had that experience of going to the movies with, with your girlfriend, the girl you're dating, or or with some friends. It's a movie that you picked, maybe, and then the movie turns out to be really bad. And just that awkward feeling of 
just wow this is not working out and i'm embarrassed for everybody involved on screen off screen myself right do you watch uh the office or did you ever watch the office the u.s oh yeah 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 Yeah, i'm a big fan of most of the office so you're kind of talking about like the michael scott moments where you're just kind of cringing for the cast and the and the actors that are having to go through those scenes is that kind of what you're saying in a way well but see that would be to me it's intentional the office wants you to cringe the office is true true they they want you to have that reaction and and i'm a big fan of that kind of cringing as well um a lot of uh ben stiller comedies are so like that you know uh uh meet the parents when he's talking about milking the cat right that's that's very cringy but i find that funny at least mm-hmm. uh, my wife's not very fond of that kind of uh humor even though she loves the office so i guess <laughs> there's all different levels uh, yeah well for me it was it's kind of like what you said is i guess it was a much more straightforward approach i do have a little bit of everything in terms of like genres scattered throughout the 10 movies that i'm going to be talking about tonight including my honorable mentions but i guess based on your criteria i would say the filmmakers and the actors in pretty much all of the scenarios were probably expecting several people to cringe at these moments. And I was one of them. So <laughs> I guess I did take a little bit more of a straightforward approach. Well, that's awesome because I, so what I did was I, I pulled all my, my picks. And then once I realized kind of where you were going just by your comments and the, and some of the feedback on the, on the Facebook page, mm-hmm. I, I was originally going to go with more obscure picks because I figured you would go like, I didn't want to have any crossover. It was like, Gerald's probably going to get the at least some of the big hitters, and I'll get the other ones in my honorable mentions. But then once I saw the way that the, the wind was blowing, I figured, no, uh, we're probably not going to have any crossovers. So I'm going to get uh, a pretty, you know, my I think that my top five picks, definitely my top four, are going to be movies that everybody has seen and okay. everybody's going to know what I'm talking about. And then honorable mentions will be something that's probably less popular but mm-hmm. still very much cringy okay cool man well i'm looking forward to it i mean this is this was a cool topic you came up with you and i are also going to get together on a future episode and we're going to do our top five the worst movies we've ever seen and that was another one that was in the running for tonight's recording but we decided we would get cringy first and kind of get this out of the way <laughs> i guess so I'm excited for that. Julio, so thank you so much for coming up with the topic because, like I said, it was a lot of fun to come up with my list, Uh, even though I did cringe at times because I watched all of mine back on YouTube. Of course, I'd seen them before, and I remembered kind of watching them in the theater or at home and, you know, doing the thing where you put your hands over your face and you peek through your fingers, you know. (laughs) I did that with a few of these, and you know how the emoji with the clenchy teeth face? I was actually making that face uh, during a few of these scenes, so... But it's fun, man. Like you said, it's the art of cinema. I mean, it can make people do all kinds of stuff. Laugh, cry, cringe, which is what we're talking about tonight. Scare you. So, so many different things that can happen when you when you get into a movie, man. So, if you're ready, brother, I'm going to let you start us off. This is your topic, so I know you're probably all about it. What is your number five cringe-worthy movie moment? Five, four, three... Two, one, and here we go. All right. Uh, so th- something else that I I also had in mind when I picked the top five, especially was uh, 
having some sort of story to go with it because mm-hmm. that that kind of adds to the cringe factor. Uh, so that's definitely uh, true with my number five pick, mm-hmm. which is a movie that I actually liked a lot, which happens to be the case with, with some of these picks, movies that I was very much into. And then there was that moment when everything turns or that just one isolated <laughs> moment that you wish you could remove from the movie so that it would be a good movie for you. Um, right. Year was 2011. Uh, it's a comedy called Crazy Stupid Love with Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Julianne Moore, mm-hmm. Emma Stone. I know it well. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I know it well. Uh, I love this movie. I, that's fine, man. <laughs> Everybody. No, I'm, wait, I'm, wait, I'm, I'm waiting to know where you go because I was a fan of this one. <laughs> yeah. So there is a. I was very much into this one. I I'm pretty sure I watched it for work. So it was before it opened. I I, I screened it and I was. It was kind of like right up my alley. I you know I was recovering from from a major breakup. So I was very much uh, on the the mental space that Steve Carell is in. Uh, I could definitely relate to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, his journey of kind of finding himself single uh, when he's, you know, he, he's been out of the dating game forever. And then, you know, hanging out with uh, Ryan Gosling and how he kind of like gets him out of his shell and teaches him the ropes. That was stuff that I could sort of relate to. And uh, I, I found them funny. Mm-hmm. They're all, it's a great cast. It's all great. Uh, and then as we're heading towards the third act, you get to what my friends and I uh, refer to as the, the third Stooges sequence, the, the three Stooges sequence, which is when uh, the big reveal happens, when you find out, everybody finds out how everybody's related. So Ryan Gosling finds out that the girl that he's been dating, Emma Stone, is actually Steve Carell's daughter. And if I'm not mistaken, that's when we find that out too. Um, uh, yep. Mm-hmm. And it's just this really long sequence of just... The, it's it, it kind of like builds up to a fight because then also Kevin Bacon shows up and he's the man that uh, Julianne Moore uh, has been dating and Steve Carell's been trying to win back Julianne Moore. It, it's it becomes this huge thing that I just don't find funny. It makes me cringe because the movie was doing was going so well. In my opinion, it was just so smart until I so got you didn't there. Like, I you, didn't, you didn't like the plot twist. So can I ask you? So was this cringe worthy for you? Because I know very specifically what scene you're talking about, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying I like love that scene, but it definitely didn't you know bring the movie down for me personally. So when you think of that scene as like cringe worthy, are you saying that because like if you picture yourself? Like in that scenario, like if you were a bystander there, it would be very awkward for you to be a part of. Or no, I I find it cringeworthy <laughs> because I cringed at the actors not being funny, and they'd been okay, funny up till right. then. So they were up trying to be then, funny, and it didn't work for you. Okay, yeah, it was just you know the comedy had been. I thought it had been like very uh, not just funny and smart, but also kind of uh, it, relatable. And then suddenly it just becomes like a Saturday Night Live skit where people keep coming up and people keep making revelations. And it's just so unnatural wow. compared to everything okay. else. And from then on, the movie doesn't recover because honestly, really? this is this stretch of cringiness goes all the way till the end when you have Steve Carell making the cheesiest speech ever at his he hijacks his son's graduation i think mm-hmm, <laughs> he just like declares his love for julianne moore in front of a whole bunch of people that shouldn't care less uh, but somehow it's celebrated as a triumphant moment and i understand if you're with the movie if if it didn't lose you the way it lost me that's fine because that's that's what you're there for you want the happy ending but uh when you disconnect from it the way i did it's just wow. cringe city from you know for the last <laughs> 20 30 minutes of, of the movie well um, if anything i can tell that our lists are is, you definitely have a different approach at least in your number five but i love crazy stupid love so now now you're making me want to go back and rewatch that because i actually haven't seen that in probably four or five years so now i'm wondering if you tarnish that for me julio 
Oh, I hope not. I, 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 you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm sure more than happy that the people enjoy the movies that they enjoy. It's not like I find it reprehensible. Right. You know, I just, just find it like, it. oh man, they dropped the ball. Yeah. And uh, and and I know I'm not alone because, like I said, it's kind of a running joke. We bring it up in our podcast. You know, every 10, 15 episodes, something will come up where we're like, yeah, like Crazy Stupid Love, and everybody goes like, yeah, fuck that movie. <laughs> Okay, all right. Well, that's your number five. So I don't even know what to call. It. I guess the revelation scene would be. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think the that plot twist. I, yeah. The Three Stooges scene. Because really, the they're three all Stooges. Just... Yeah. From Crazy Stupid Loves, your number five. So my number five is much different, man. So uh, we kind of know that our list, maybe, maybe, number, maybe our number fives are going to kind of show everyone where our list is headed. And I think that actually could be the case with mine. So in 2005, a sequel was released and it was the second in the series. And now there have been, I think, seven of them. They will not stop making them. Uh, there has not been a good one, in my opinion, from front to back since the original. However, in Saw 2 in 2005, possibly the best scene in any of the Saw movies comes in Saw 2, and that's the needle pit scene or the syringe pit scene. Have you seen the sequel to Saw, Saw 2? I've only seen Saw 3. Wow, that's, so really- that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It, it, same thing as in Crazy Stupid Love. I watched it for work. It, it was just okay. Like, all right. All right. <laughs> and and you know what? I'll, not having any point of comparison with previous or latter sauce, I thought it was fine. Yeah. I, it was it was better than I expected because I expected just your straight up slasher and it turned out to be more of a puzzle movie. Right. And I, right. I found that was that was interesting. Right. And they're known for that. I mean, they're all pretty much the same in that respect uh, with Jigsaw kind of, you know, putting these scenarios in front of his victims and stuff like that, making them choose. Would you rather that kind of thing? You know, it's kind of like a game, obviously. And some people live, some people die. Well, in Saw 2, I'll just give a you know, quick kind of wrap up of why the scene is so cringy for me. And I did rewatch it again today and I still did the cringe thing when I was watching it, even though I've seen it like two or three times. Um, but there's a scene where, and he, and you know, Jigsaw does this thing where it's these really elaborate puzzles, like you explained it, almost like an escape room type situation. And you'll have to complete a task before you can, you know, move on to the next thing. And you live, first of all, and then you move on to the next thing. Or if you don't complete the task, there's a high likelihood that you'll die based on whatever the trap is, so to speak. Well, there's one scene in it where uh, one of the girls is down to like three or four people left and they're getting through this kind of like maze that he set up for them. And there's this one spot where the door has an electronic lock on it. It's literally like an escape room. And they have like three minutes or something like that to get to find the key to get out of the room. But if they don't before it hits zero, the door locks for good and they're locked in the room. You know, presumably they're going to die there. So the key has been thrown into a literal pool or pit that is filled with needles syringe <laughs> syringe needles we're talking like probably hundreds of thousands of syringes and it's just in there like a needle in a haystack no pun intended he even uses that joke when he's telling the rules of the game and one of the girls who's like a drug addict and who uses needles oh, uh God. so it's kind of like yeah so it's kind of like playing on that whole thing uh ends up in the pit to find it and she's literally like swimming through this pool of needles and they're obviously getting stuck in her arms and back and face and like she's trying to find the key and it's just especially if you have a fear of needles which i do so that's probably why this that doesn't help <laughs> but i don't know if you do uh, but if you have a fear of needles it's gonna be hard to get through this scene and i watched it for maybe the third time today i, I was re re-watching it for this and i knew what happened i've seen it before and it was still it was just like oh god it just got me man because i hate needles and 
it's it's a very tense scene too because the the clock the, the timer's clocking down or counting down on the door. She's trying to get through it really fast to find it. You know what I mean? So it's got that kind of tension aspect to it as well. Um, From what I know of the Saw franchise, I imagine there's not much left to the imagination either. I mean, I I, I would no. imagine it gets pretty graphic. Yes. Yes, it, it, it is uh, hard to watch, which is the motif of my list for the most part. So I know you haven't seen it, so I won't go on too long, but I would urge you, I wonder if if there's any on your list that I haven't seen, Julio, I'll make an, a promise to you that I'll watch them and then maybe you could do that with mine too. Just the scenes, I mean. Hey, I so uh, you know how the, the Epic Film guys do their, uh, on Halloween or, or October, I think it is, uh-huh. when they do yeah. their competition to watch horror movies. So I did last year, which I filled out a lot of uh, blind spots that, uh, that I had, but still have a lot to take care of. Example, the entire Saw franchise minus Saw 3. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely I do plan on, on watching them at some point because I'm just i curious about how it all fits together. From everything I've heard, it sounds like they put a right. lot of thought into right. just the timeline and yeah. everything. So, um, all right. The needle, first one's great. Sequence. I mean, the first one's a great movie, and you could just watch that one and you'd be fine. Like you would, And I'm not even saying that like in a degrading way, but, I mean, the, the sequels don't really lend anything to the overall value of the original film. They're just kind of... Like the scene I just described, <laughs> they're just kind of like shock and awe scenes, body horror, you know, like stuff that as a fan, like if you're like a horror fan, you'll dig it. Um, and I do. There's a lot of scenes that I love. But as as far as like a great movie, I think the first one's a great movie and then the rest are just kind of there to shock you and disgust you and things like that. So you're uh, including that, that prequel your... they, they reveal, they released the Jigsaw? Jigsaw, actually, I didn't see. I haven't seen that one yet. Okay. So I can't I can't speak on that one. Um so I don't know. But the first one I think is great. I think if you want to start with the first Saw movie, um, I think you would really like that one. That's a really good horror film. But then I also think you need to be prepared to be disappointed with the sequels <laughs> as, you <go> through the, <laughs> as you go through the franchise. At least that's what happened for me. So uh, Sorry to go on and on about it, but the needle pit scene from Saw 2 is my number five, which swings us over to you for your four, man. All right, number four, you probably already seen. There's a pretty good chance you actually like this movie. I got into, a, not an argument, just a conversation about it a few days ago on Twitter uh, because usually when I bring it up, it's to disparage it, uh, <laughs> even though I loved it the first time I watched it. So, you know, there's a, uh, there's a time and a place <laughs> for, for every movie, and sometimes when you watch it and how you watch it changes uh, how you felt about it. In this case, uh, 2004, Garden State. Oh, yeah. Zach okay. Braff's mm-hmm. uh, opening salvo as a director. Um, I, I liked it a lot. when I The first time I watched it, I was uh, I was pretty high on Natalie Portman at the time. Sure. And you know, I was just happy to see her there. She, she, I thought she was great. I thought he was good. And it's like, wow, it felt very indie. Uh, it, it just, um, I was good. I, I, I thought that it was, it was a really good movie that I would recommend to anybody. And then I watched it again uh, when, I think it was like my mother was visiting. Uh, and we were just watching movies every night. Mm-hmm. Night came for Garden State. And it was just so awkward. I'm not going to say that my mom ruined Garden State for me because that's not <laughs> exactly what happened. But there's certainly right. something that happens when you're watching a movie with someone who's not enjoying it. Sure. It suddenly makes you really self-conscious of, uh, of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a completely different experience. I did not find it funny anymore. It was just I found all the mannerisms that the characters have it just very artificial. And... 
And every time I've watched it since, I've watched it like two or three times then without any parental figures around me. And it just, uh-huh. it's never recovered. And it, I, in fact, it, it's gotten worse. I think it's also aged. Just the older I get, the less I can connect with these characters and their quirkiness, especially. And here's my, my cringe worthy moment. Um, I don't know if you remember, but uh, basically, Zach Braff comes back to his hometown because his mother has passed away. He meets. Uh, uh, Natalie Portman, who is basically it, it, what they used to call a manic pixie dream girl. You know, she's just perfect and quirky, and uh, and it's never uh, better or worse demonstrated than in a scene where she tells him that uh, sometimes when she feels down, what she likes to do is make uh, make a noise that nobody else in the world has ever made and that suddenly makes her feel like an individual and then she demonstrates and she she just makes this weird contortion with her body as she makes a noise mm. and uh it, it's it's awkward to watch to begin with and then she tells zach braff now you do it <laughs> and, <laughs> and of course he's he's very self-conscious and he just moves his finger and says something like i, I don't know he makes some weird noise but that entire <laughs> sequence which i'm telling you the first time i watched it i'm pretty sure i was like man that's so awesome i've never seen anything like this this girl's so cool anytime i've seen it since it just i cringe it just I so wonder, i wonder where that i wonder where the tables turned on that i vaguely remember that scene so i can't really speak on it too too vividly but i wonder i mean do you think because you're right though like if you like a movie on the first viewing and then you recommend it to someone especially if you're watching it with them there is a level of like fear almost in how they're going to respond to it uh so i wonder if that if your mother in other words i wonder if your mother had liked it or let's say she really enjoyed that scene and was like laughing through it i wonder if that would have kept if it would have kept for you what do you think i i don't know i i want to say no because that's why i i've kept watching it and and it, it never got any better. And I've had experiences plenty of times where I've recommended a movie with someone. I've watched a movie with someone and they didn't like it. I mean, mm-hmm. Alex, my co-host. It's your uh, show, basically. Yeah. <laughs> pandemic, you know, before uh, pre-pandemic, we would watch the movies together before we recorded the episode. And there's been plenty of times where uh, he hasn't liked a movie that I liked. And vice versa, like movies that we brought excitedly to the show to see how the other one would feel about them. And then the reaction was negative. And it's never made me feel like I like the movie any less. It might have opened my eyes about some things that, oh, yeah, these don't work. Even they might work for me, but I understand why they don't work for someone else. In the case of my mother, I think that as I've gotten older, uh, basically what I saw that night when I was watching it with her was my future. You know, she was like older (laughs) and she was not amused at all by this shit. And then... Eventually, I grew up to be her age, and I have the same reaction. Now, to me, they're just these two 20-somethings acting silly. Yeah, yeah, I just don't – I don't get it. They they make me cringe. If I saw somebody acting that way in in real life, I wouldn't think it was amusing or clever or endearing. I would just walk away. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, you're making me want to go back and rewatch these, but I don't know that I want to because I don't want to ruin them for me. Uh, You know, you can YouTube (laughs) – you can YouTube that scene and, yeah. and just, you know, maybe gauge your reaction but, from that. You don't have to watch yeah, the entire movie. But much like Crazy Stupid Love, I mean, Garden State is a movie that I would say I like. You know what I mean? Like, I remember enjoying it. I don't own it or anything like that. I didn't go out and buy it. But, I mean, I did enjoy my time with it. I think I remember it had an amazing soundtrack. Uh, I have yes. that I have that album um, or that CD. But, okay, so Garden State's your number four. And what do you want to call that scene? So I can make so I can notate it here. I have it as a Natalie Portman tries to be unique. Okay, Natalie Portman's <laughs> unique scene. Okay, 
All right, so look, man. So my number four is the the movie that is cringeworthy. And I mean the whole goddamn movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, however, I am going to choose a scene from it. Now, uh, you know, much like I mentioned with Saw before, I do think this movie, which I'm naming the original, it's also had a, two sequels that have come after it. And it's also just a pop culture, like just thing i mean memes gifts like the whole thing right but the original right. the original film came out in 2009 and it's called the human centipede oh god dude <laughs> did you ever see this no all right i, I heard don't. about it and that was enough <laughs> yeah don't okay um i mean i should put a little disclaimer before i even talk about this like i, I feel like this is going to make people listening to the podcast cringe but uh i mean it's a very i mean that's what it's meant to do kind of like what we were saying in our intro you know this movie and this this series of films it literally exists to make the audience cringe and look away and like you know, close their fist and just like, you know, just make those awkward faces and just, you know, it's just body horror, like uh-huh. dialed up to 11 in the, in these movies. The first one, however, was that, and th- you did see that towards the latter part of the film, but the setup of this film, the first two thirds of it was getting to that point. And it was really smart. It was a really smart film and it had sci-fi elements built into it. So I would say it's a good movie, but when you get to the moment with the actual quote unquote centipede, um, it's fucked up, right? So, I mean, do you know the premise? Like, I mean, you know the premise, right? So they, so this deranged scientist and doctor, um, who's a great villain, by the way, uh, has this like, just, fucked up thing like dream or whatever i don't even know what you call it like goal in his life to create a chain of humans that are bound together and when i say bound together like mouth to ass okay and literally okay and there's a scene in the movie where and this is the scene i'm naming where the because there's three people there's three subjects and that creates the first centipede it's called first sequence and then believe me the sequels like this is gonna sound like disney if you watch the sequels the sequels are like (laughs) this is nothing okay but these three individuals are attached in that manner and there's a scene where the uh, middle per- person, uh, due to the doctor doing something, I won't give too much away, uh, is basically forced to defecate into the third person's... Uh, you get what I'm saying here, Julio, right? I, I do. I do. <laughs> I don't really want to say it, but I feel like I'm trying to paint a picture for you. So that's super cringeworthy because they set it up. They spend a lot of time kind of explaining what the doctor you know used to inject to create that and why he's doing it and so on and so forth. So you know what's happening. Uh, the third person in the back of the centipede, like the rest of the movie is really like basically blue in the face. And like you can see all the life just like leaving her body. And it's just, oh man, it is a brutal, brutal scene to get through. And I would, if you ever do watch Human Centipede, just please skip this scene. Trust me. I just told you what happens. Uh, or, or at I least close imagine, your eyes. Yeah. I can't imagine a scenario where I sit down to watch this movie voluntarily. <laughs> I, I would have to lose a bet. Well, maybe, like, uh, uh, maybe one of the patrons can throw it at you. Oh my God. Oh, Lord. I, I have two questions. One is, uh, why, how did you end up watching it to begin with? Uh, I mean, I know you're a horror guy, but that's uh, it. I mean, that's it. Uh, I mean, because but you knew you know, what you were getting into. Yeah, but I don't. Um, I mean, this. Okay, well, this. I didn't see this coming. The scene that I just described <laughs> to you. 
I didn't think they were going to, you know, I don't want to say it on the air, but I didn't think they were going to do that specific. You called their bluff, basically. Um, but I mean, I am a fan of horror. So and you got to I don't know if you remember 10 years ago when this came out. But I mean, the hype around this was just like, you know, it was banned in the US for a while. And it was like, you know, it was one of those things, social media and everybody's like, oh, my God, you have to see this. It's a movie you won't you won't believe your eye. You know, that whole thing. They had right. a great kind of they had a great kind of grassroots marketing campaign. in the everybody was that. Everybody was discussing which if you were to be in the experiment, which which would you be the right. first, the second or the third? Which one's worse? Right. Oh man! Well, uh, based so, on what have I just you said, I'm gonna. Based on what I just said, I'm gonna say the third. <laughs> uh, I did. I didn't see the third one because the second one. I, look, dude, I'm a horror fan. Okay, I'm like a one horror. Like I'll do anything horror all day long. Like I have Shutter. I'll watch that. I'll watch that just like I'm watching ABC or something. Like I love horror movies. I love horror, the horror genre. But after I saw the sequel to Human Centipede, I was like, no, I'm not. I can't. What if they do anything above this? I don't want to see it. <laughs> so, oh my god, they crossed the line. Uh, it was like even for me, I'm like I'm done, you know. And I don't mind necessarily body horror. It's not my favorite type of horror, uh, you know, like Cronenberg and some of those filmmakers I absolutely love. But this is just like I said, the first one I felt like was like this really unique science fiction kind of concept with the body horror elements kind of built in there in just a few scenes. And one of which I just explained to you. And then the end scene too is pretty grotesque as well. But, but the second one was like, there was no, like, it wasn't smart. It was just the body horror shock and awe that we only got glimpses of in the first one, but just like overload in the second one. And it was like, it went from three people to this dude's got 99 people in a warehouse (laughs) And it's like, okay, you're just doing this to like see if we can sit through it, basically. Do you know what I mean? Um, and there's an audience for that. Don't get me wrong. You know, this guy, Tom Six, this filmmaker, I mean, he knows what he's doing. I mean, you know, it's like Marilyn Manson or somebody that's like a shock rocker. I mean, they're doing it because they know there's an audience for it and they're going to get people in the seats or whatever. But after seeing that, man, I'm just like, all right, I'm good. I know what you're doing and I'm, I'm good. So uh, my recommendation would be, and not to you necessarily, Julio, but to horror fans that haven't seen The Human Centipede, go ahead and watch the original because I feel like that is a smart movie with just some hard to watch scenes in it. Whereas the sequels turn into like they're just hard to watch they're not there's not a smart story built in there if that makes sense i I think that we can all take away that uh the line that you will not cross is somewhere between three people in the centipede (laughs) and 99 people in the centipede yeah that's what got me (laughs) three people i'm like all right i'll do this Oh, man. You know, this is an explicit show. And even I was like, I don't want to say what I'm saying here. You know what I mean? So (laughs) if that tells you anything, that's how cringy it was for me. So the that's the defecation scene in Human Centipede is my number four. (laughs) Bring us out of the gutter, man. What's what's your number three, Julio? Well, nowhere else to go but up. Yeah, please. Uh, 2007, you're going to know exactly where I'm going for. Um, this was the third installment in a franchise. Uh, and I was it was a franchise I loved. And once again, I'm at work. This movie doesn't open until Thursday night. But, you know, we have to check and make sure the print is built properly and everything. So we need to uh, uh, check it, uh, you know, beforehand. But the, the actual digital content doesn't unlock until, I think, 6 in the morning. Mm-hmm. So instead of watching it Wednesday night... Uh, I have to come back to the theater at 6 in the morning to watch it, which I don't mind because I love this movie. I'm going to watch it plenty of times. Um, I even talk a friend of mine, a, a, a 
fellow manager to come with me because he was like, I don't get what the point of, of, of you know, I don't get this franchise. I don't really this genre. Uh, but he knew that I loved it. So he's like, I'll watch it with you and see if I can uh, just get what's going on. Uh-huh. And so we do. And we sit down to watch Spider-Man 3. Oh, yeah. Toby Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, uh, Sam Raimi behind the helm. And it was like, you know, it starts off well enough. I don't hate Spider-Man 3. Uh, I, I I actually, I still defend a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And sitting there with my friend, I for most of the runtime, I was like, all right, he's this is not bad. I mean, even if he hasn't watched the first two, he can still get most of it. And uh, uh, and then we get to my scene, my cringe-worthy scene, which is, uh, of course, you have to know this, Gerald, when Peter Parker starts dancing down the street and... Mm-hmm. Uh, doing finger guns at, at different women walking by and then he goes yeah, into that clothing store and he comes out just with a different set of clothes and he's dancing and it's just so embarrassing especially in this case heightened because i'm sitting right next to a person that wanted to know what the big deal was about this uh spider-man franchise you know why am i so crazy right. about these movies and i could feel the judgment just dripping from him as we're watching this. right it's like you're almost like embarrassed for yourself that you like it right yeah this it, is it, the first this is the first kind of mini crossover because it's in my honorable mentions and it's the exact same scene that you're talking about it's um, so I, I can laugh at it i mean unlike yeah. the last two i i can you know i've, I've seeked these uh, you know, this sequence, I'll YouTube it every now and then if I want to laugh, and I laugh whenever there's a meme about it. And it's entertaining on its own, I think, as part of the the bigger picture uh, in that movie, and especially as part of the, the trilogy in Sim Raimi's uh, work. It's just, oh man, it, it, it's just so out of whack compared to everything that had happened before. It's just full on clowning around and... Uh, and it's just, yeah. It's it's awkward to watch. I, I I there are other moments that don't bother me. There's another, you know, he has that that another musical number later in the in the movie when he goes to uh, visit Mary Jane at work. He goes with Gwen, takes mm-hmm. Gwen to Mary Jane's job to like, kind of show her off, and he gets into a fight. But before that, he dances and he plays jazz and whatever. That I don't mind that. Uh, that's uh, you know that's my uh, that's my 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 three body centipede. I can draw the line there. But then when you get to the the <laughs> dance scene. Down the street, that's just that's too much. Yeah. Well, so, the thing for me is I love the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films too, and I don't hate Spider-Man three, but it's definitely the weaker of the of the trilogy. And this scene is so like it's just such a one-off scene where I I even wonder like how did that make the final cut of the movie? Like I f- I feel like it would have almost been like fanfare if it had made like the extras on the Blu-ray or something like that. You know, <laughs> right? Like a you know like a deleted scene. It would have been really cool and it would have kind of been like this folklore thing. But to have that be in the final cut, it was just so strange and kind of detached from the rest of the film because you know Venom's a very dark kind of storyline and it's it could be it could have been done so much better similar to like doc ock and spider-man 2 was was very like dark and horror centric and venom could have been seen the same way but they kind of make it a little too cartoonish and and this scene is really cartoonish to me it just is way out of place in this in this trilogy of films but yeah it's funny i I mean it's funny to look back at it and kind of make fun of it i guess kind of like right makes me makes me feel better about it <laughs> that is there um yeah, yeah i'm with I, you on this one man 
I, I wonder if uh, if it was sort of a, a subconscious or maybe fully conscious response from Raimi because uh, if I remember correctly, he didn't want to have Venom right in the in the sequel or at least there was something in that movie that was imposed by the studio. Uh, I want to say it was Venom, but maybe it was something else, some different element. But uh, maybe this was just him rebelling, I guess, mm-hmm. consciously or subconsciously because they were making him, uh, they were taking away control, the control that he had in the first two movies. I sure, think, sure. Uh, you know, maybe he, he was just like, oh, you want me to make this movie? Okay, I'm going to make this movie. Dance, Tobey Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> right. Finger guns, man. Finger guns yeah. on the big screen. That'll, that'll, that'll teach him. All right, so that's your number three and uh, kind of mini crossover. That one's going to be coming up in my honorable mentions. So my number three is the only movie in my top five that is not just a downer. <laughs> <laughs> like my first two and the two coming up. But number three is a fun movie. And it's the, the Fairley Brothers. You mentioned Ben Stiller earlier, and he's at the center. Yep. He's at the center of this scene, but it's the scene where his nuts get stuck in the zipper in the bathroom. And there's <laughs> something about Mary. Uh, have, you, have you seen this film from the 90s? Oh, yeah. Many times. So Ben Stiller plays Ted, and he's courting Mary, played by Cameron Diaz, uh, at Cameron Diaz in the late 90s was just like A1 list actress, very beautiful object of his affection. And, uh, you know, he goes over to her house to pick her up for prom and he meets the parents there and, you know, he's kind of having a great banter with the folks. And basically he just gets up to use the restroom. He goes to the bathroom and he's in there kind of pumping himself up for the night. And uh, he gets done, you know, using the bathroom and he zips up his pants and he zips them up a little too fast and a little too tight. And, uh, <laughs> The testicles get stuck in there. Um, now, as a dude, that's cringeworthy. I don't know about you, Julio, but yes. uh, wow. I have to say, it had never occurred to me that that could happen, though. This yeah. movie opened my eyes to the possibility that that was, that was a threat, a potential danger. Yeah, I'm very, very careful zipping up my pants in the bathroom since seeing this movie. I'll tell you that. I'm like very gently <laughs> zipping my pants up. I'm not doing any <laughs> swift motions with that zipper. But it's also a really funny scene, man. It's hilarious because first, you know, the dad comes in and is like, what's wrong, man? You know, and he shows the dad and the dad's like, you know, kind of laughing, but also kind of horrified. <laughs> and then they tell the mom and the mom comes in. And then, uh, you know, the police officer, I don't know if you remember, they call the cops to like help him to get right. medical medical attention. So the cop comes in the bathroom. So everybody's like in the bathroom looking at his dick, you know, <laughs> and it's all stuck in the zipper. And this is on prom night, too. So you feel bad for the guy. Uh, but it's a really funny scene. I love the Fairley brothers. They have a really kind of sick, twisted sense of humor. And I think there's something about Mary is still one of the better comedies to come out of the 90s. And this scene is definitely cringeworthy, especially coming from a guy's perspective. So that's my number three, man. Well, they have uh, they give you the money shot, which, again, is one of those things that uh, I, by now I would expect from the Ferrellis, but... At the time, I was not ready for it um, because it's been going on for, I don't know, two, three, four minutes. And it's just in your imagination how bad it, it is uh, right. on Ben Stiller's crotch. But then at some point, they actually cut to his crotch and you can see <laughs> what's <laughs> right. going on. You, you, like you, weird I think flesh you have the same reaction that, uh, that the the father of, of his date, of Cameron Diaz, is, uh, has, which is, what am I looking at? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Yeah. yeah. Just shock, you know, like, oh, God. Um, and all the dudes in there are just, yeah, no, it's not good, man. It's definitely cringeworthy. So that's my number three. We're up to our runner ups, Julio. So we have very <laughs> different lists thus far. I'm glad I was able to sneak something quote unquote fun onto my list with there's something about Mary. But other than that, 
I'm sorry, man. I'm going on a dark, demented path over here, Julio. So help me out. What's your runner-up? What's your number two? Uh, this goes, this makes for a good contrast. It's from a dark movie, uh, which is what makes this this so cringe-worthy because much like the, the Spider-Man 3 dance sequence, this is just, it feels just totally off. Um, 2009, another superhero movie, mm-hmm. Watchmen from Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, I'm talking about the sex scene between... Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Night Owl in the second Silk Spectre, uh, which is, I mean, it, it's it, it's excessive in all the ways that Watchmen is excessive, but in this case, it doesn't work. They have uh, Hallelujah playing in the background. <laughs> right, super dramatic, right? <laughs> making it like this epic sex scene, and Patrick Wilson and, uh, and Melon Ackerman are just... Uh, you know, they're. I guess it's it's a superhero sex scene, so of course they're just contorting and in slow motion and everything. But then the the most ridiculous part is when uh, I guess is when Patrick Wilson uh, climaxes. He pushes the button and then his because they're having sex in his spaceship, and then his Beetle spaceship shoots like at the flamethrower from the <laughs> from the front. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, Watchmen was supposed to be the movie that was going to make superhero movies be taken seriously. Right. That's how it was sold at the time. That's what the, the original graphic novel did. It was, uh, oh, super, you know, realistic superheroes. Uh, an unflinching look at what really happens when these people are just, uh, they have the uh, all these powers and they can't be regulated and all this stuff. And, and it's like a three hour long epic. The sex scene happens maybe right in the middle. And up till then, I like the... I like the adaptation overall. I like Watchmen. I, you know, it has all the Zack Snyder quirks for better or for worse. And uh, to me, in this case, it worked for the better until you get to that scene. I think that he was on pretty solid ground, being pretty faithful to the the uh, the novel, changing things that, in my opinion, were changes for the better. Uh, the aesthetic was working, and then you get to this, and it's again like a Saturday Night Live skit, like like a parody yeah. of what he was trying to right, do. Right, right. It was it, too. I haven't seen this one in a long time, but from what I recall, it was just they were they were just trying too hard. I mean, yeah. it was it was too much. It was like too too much drama added elements added to it. It was just like almost. You're right. It was almost like they were trying to parody a sex scene. <laughs> Yeah, right. it, it, I think the movie recovers. Uh, it it the rest of the movie kind of because I guess you, it's just so intense everything all the time right. that you can just kind of like move past this five minute sequence and then kind of get back on track. But it's still it, the movie would be, in my opinion, so much better if you took that out. Uh, I'm not saying yeah. you have to, you know, they don't have to not have sex, but just either keep it mostly off screen or shoot it in a way that's a little more. Uh, more meaningful and Down less spectacle. Earth, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Put it on the bonus disc with Tobey Maguire's <laughs> finger guns. Yes. <laughs> superhero bonus Can you scenes. guys believe we once considered doing this? <laughs> All right, man. So that's your number two from The Watchmen. So that's my number, number two. two, my number two and my number one, uh, I really didn't know until right now just because I typed out next to number two. I typed this one out. So it, they're interchangeable. They're both as cringy for me. My number two comes from, uh, it originates from a Stephen King work. And Kathy Bates in 1990 portrayed, oh, yeah. portrayed Annie Wilkes in Misery. And you've seen this? Oh, yeah. First, first of all? Okay. I don't really care about spoiling a movie from 1990 if anyone hasn't seen this, but James Caan is a writer, and he gets basically stranded in the winter, and Annie, portrayed by Bates, rescues him and lets him mend his injuries from his car accident and stuff in her house, and they're snowed in because it's the dead of winter and so on. 
So over the course of the film, uh, we learn that she's basically psychotic and she has a detachment from reality with his novels and with the characters that he's created in his novels. And she's just a fan, but like way beyond uh, what a fan should be. She's way too attached to him and his works and you know, the story that he's writing, because these are books that are, you know, continuations of each other. Well, uh, ultimately, she ends up uh, strapping him down to the bed because she's fearful now that he's better, that he'll that he'll leave, that he'll escape. And right. he does he does get out. There's one night when he gets out and he almost makes it out of the house. She straps him down to the bed to prevent that from happening again. And she comes in the room when he wakes up one morning. I'm sure you know the scene I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And she comes in with a sledgehammer, and she starts telling a story about an uh, an ancient ritual called hobbling, where um, they would uh, basically use a sledgehammer to the ankles of these people that they did not want running away, and they didn't want them escaping from various camps and stuff. So she puts a, like, basically a a two-by-six piece of wood in between his ankles, puts his feet up next to them, and takes a sledgehammer to both of him, both of them. And the way the, the way the scene is shot, they show you. They show yep. you his feet going in on themselves. And you hear, obviously, the sound effects of the sledgehammer hitting the bone. And the whole time she's doing it, it's very eerie because she's so calm about it. And it's like she's telling this, she's having this montage while she's doing it. She's telling him that she loves him. Uh, that she's doing it for him because he's supposed to be there to finish his book. Uh, so she's really deranged and detached from like what's actually what she's actually doing to this man. Um, so it's very eerie in that way too. And I love Misery. I love Stephen King. I named this as one of my favorite horror movies to come out of the 1990s. There's a little bit of contention. Some people don't call it a horror movie. Some people call it a thriller. Uh, to me, Annie Wilkes is horrific. <laughs> so it's a horror movie to me. Uh, but this scene's cringeworthy, man. I have to turn away every time when I know that foot's going to, you know, do the 180 when she hits it with the sledgehammer. I don't know about you, but... Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. I I, I, I mean, I love it. I, I think it's great. I want to say that I already knew what was going to happen going mm-hmm. in, that I'd heard about it. It still hit me really hard because it's kind of like even when you hear about it, you don't want to believe that's going to be as extreme, but it is. Right, right. Um, I think yeah. James Caan's reaction to it sells it. Really oh yeah, well, so too. good, man! Really good. Yeah, they're, they're both really, really good in this uh, film. Yeah. And I then I like read this... the book, and I heard, you know, because I heard that it was worse in the book, and and yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. even worse in the book. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's my number two. Like I said, it could have easily been my number one, but it was my turn, and I had to pick one, so I picked Misery. <laughs> so that's my number two: the hobbling scene from Misery. So we're up to our number ones, Total man. Cringe. Uh, Yes. Total total cringe for sure. So we're up to our number ones, and uh, I'm looking at it here on paper, and I tell you, man, they are different. (laughs) They're different, (laughs) which is good. It's good. You know, you've got a little superhero kind of rom-com thing going over there, and I've got a really dark, twisted horror slash Farley Brothers list going on, so I don't know. Uh, Well, yours are are mostly good cringes. Those are the cringes that then you later tell your friends with glee, Mm -hmm. saying, man, you can, I can't wait for you to experience this yeah. mine are kind of the opposite it's like yeah. please don't um, <laughs> all right man well you're you're up brother for your for your number one julio i'm excited uh, i gerald i really didn't want to do this put this at number one i didn't want to put it at all on the uh, on the list because i feel like it's it's easy pickings is like shooting fish in a barrel but at sure. the same time if i was going to be true to myself uh especially if i'm connecting to these picks well, uh, in a very personal way i said like how much did i cringe and just the, the story leading to it i i have to do it so apologies to our buddy nicholas haskins but mm-hmm. 
Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice 2016. Mm-hmm. Martha, mm-hmm. it's just God. I was I went to the the pre-show at like I don't know 10 p.m. on Thursday. Packed theater. Everybody was there to watch it. Whether you liked Man of Steel or you didn't, I I think that everybody wanted to see what was gonna happen. Mm-hmm. I was optimistic. I I didn't think that Man of Steel was great but i thought it was pretty good and i thought that it laid the foundation for a really awesome sequel uh i was there with my wife and i was there with alex and i was there with a friend of ours and they had you know a a wide range of expectations like uh, one of my friends was completely tuned out from man of steel on but he still wanted to see if this was going to be a train wreck Uh, and uh so we went in and I thought it was doing much like with Spider-Man Three Watchmen. I, I thought it was doing really well. I, you know, again, it's Zack Snyder. There's a lot of excess. There's a lot of just uh, Zack Snyderisms. But mm-hmm. I thought that for the most part, it was just an interesting movie. It was, it was, it was good. Whenever it had a misfire, it didn't matter because it kept building up on something else. Uh, but then the funny thing is, like the Martha moment. And everybody knows the Martha moment by now. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's all I have to say. But it's basically when they get into a fight, the fight's about to be over, Batman's about to kill Superman, and Superman stops him by making him realize that their mothers have the same name, which is really cheesy, really... Uh, it, it's just comical. Uh, but the fight that precedes that moment, I thought was pretty awesome. To me, when we got to the big fight between Batman and Superman, the, the, what the movie has been building towards, I thought that was great. I, I honestly felt like even my friend that was an essay uh they could maybe turn around and see like okay well if nothing else the fight is awesome uh, even if i don't mm-hmm. agree with the thematic elements or whatever uh and then you know martha happens and just it just it killed the movie it killed my i i honestly i couldn't think of how it could recover from it and in my opinion it doesn't mm-hmm. um, and and i could you could feel it i in the movie theater that was packed just the the chasm between the people that stayed with the movie and the people that gave up on it right away because you still have a solid i don't know 20 30 minutes of movie after that uh, and i i could feel i mean i knew i was in the camp of the people that didn't care anymore and i could spot my people you know throughout the theater <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the right. people that were just completely unimpressed with with doomsday well, with uh, wonder woman showing up there was there was at, at least half the theater wonder woman showed up you know 10 15 minutes later they were you know whooping and clapping and everything and then there was the other half of the theater where we're just kind of like looking around and we're like nope i'm done yeah just- they're still they're still thinking about the martha moment yeah <laughs> yeah it's no, just like, roll I mean, credits. The, the thing for me uh i i was disappointed from really really for the whole movie i mean i, I never was really into the movie enough for that to ruin the movie for me because i was already kind of checked out when that happened uh, and i'm talking about the first time i saw it mm-hmm. uh seeing it a couple times since you you use the perfect term comical it's just just crazy to me that all these you know Zack Snyder of course but all these other people that are involved at the studio at DC at Warner Brothers whatever that are just like yeah Mark, let's keep that <laughs> yeah that let's let that be the thing that ends the fight I mean it's just crazy to me and I I just can't wrap my head around it you know I've I've talked about this with other guests on the show. I'm sure you've probably heard a couple of those conversations where we're just like, what are they doing? Like, I don't know what DC's doing. You know what I mean? I don't want to blame <laughs> Zack Snyder completely. I don't want to blame Ben Affleck. I don't want to put it on any one or two people, but it's just like, it's just not working. Do you know what I mean? And I know there's an audience for it. Like you mentioned Nick. I know he loves it. That's great. You know, I don't see how, but uh, it's fine. Well, I think I think even Nick will tell you that it's not, that that moment doesn't work. The difference right. is that he, he can move past it. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. To him, it doesn't kill the movie. Right, right, right. Yeah, I get it, yeah. But you're right, though. I mean, definitely cringy, especially especially if you were into that movie up until that point, which, I mean, I wasn't, so I don't I don't know, but, I mean, it sounds like you were pretty invested until that happened, so. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, I thought that, movie, that, that fight was pretty awesome. It had me. I was like, man, they're actually making the, the idea, you know, Batman versus Superman, it's, it's already kind of a... They have to do a lot of setup. They have to jump through a lot of hoops to make that a believable match in the comics. And then when you're seeing it live action, it's even harder because you're seeing it live action. It's it's harder mm. to buy into the fantasy of it. And I right. thought they were doing a pretty good job of of making it believable that that Batman would actually hold his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but then it gets to the, that moment, and it's just it's been so intense, and everything has been taken so seriously. And then you come up with this this plot device that's out of a, an episode of the Super Friends. I mean, it's just it's mind blowing that it that it made it that far. It should have been killed, you know, in the first draft. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, sorry. Right. That's that makes me cringe just talking about it yeah no i'm with you man uh, i'm not gonna i'm definitely not gonna disagree with you on that one it wasn't on my radar because like i said i didn't i was never on board with that movie to begin with so it would be one of those things where the whole movie kind of made me cringe because <laughs> <laughs> i wanted it to be so much better than it turned out to be so all right man so my number one is is much different and um you know, like I said, it could have very easily been Misery in this spot, too. But what I decided to go with was a movie from 1998, directed by Tony Kay, starring Edward Norton as American History X. Oh, I know exactly what you guys say. You do? Okay, so uh, have you seen the film? Yes, yeah. Okay, all right. So uh, Edward Norton gives an amazing performance in this film. The subject matter is cringy to begin with because, uh, you know, all the, the problems that we're having right now with racial tension aside, mm-hmm. uh, this is a movie that really, really um, addresses like racism and white supremacy in America and does it in a way where it's like you can't look away from it. Like it's in your face. Like it's like, you know, very blunt um, and very uh, it's not it's not sensitive in its approach when it's dealing with white supremacy and Nazism and things like that. So Edward Norton in the beginning of the movie, um, you know, is a Nazi, is a white supremacist. And there's a scene in the beginning of the movie that kind of sets up the rest of the film where these two black guys come and they try to steal uh, his truck out of his driveway. And mm-hmm. he kind of he kind of catches them in the in the act of, of doing that. And he shoots one of them and kills him. And then he gets he catches up to the other guy and he makes the guy he has a gun to his head and he's like, you know, telling him what to do. So obviously he's going to shoot him if he doesn't do it. And he's telling the guy to put his mouth on the curb and this mm-hmm. is like you know the curb on the street in front of his house and the and the, the camera angle is a close-up on the guy's face and the victim's face and he's literally putting his teeth and like biting the edge of the curb and then um you know there's some uh not very good racial language used and edward norton says some things and basically stomps hit the top of the guy's head and crushes his face into the curb. The sound effects, you can actually hear the teeth grinding on the concrete. Yep. Um, it's a very, very tough scene to watch. Um, and the movie's tough. I mean, that. I mean, I could literally pick three or four scenes from this movie that are very cringy because of what it's dealing with in terms of racism and then just the level of brutality involved that these white supremacists will go to to get their point across or to really just practice racism, which is horrible. Um, but I don't see any other reason for it, you know, because obviously I don't agree with it. So, you know, it does turn out where there's a bit of a bright spot in the film because we learn that he's reformed, you know, while he goes to prison for that. Uh, he reforms himself, and when he gets out of prison, his younger brother is now dealing in white supremacy, and he's trying to help 
him not take not to go down that path. He's trying to. He has a newfound kind of love for other um, minorities and things like that. That was very different from the character that that we saw in that scene. But that's just such a cringeworthy scene, man. Because of the subject matter, anyway, uh, racism and whatnot. And then on top of that, it's just brutal, you know. And it's you just picture it in your mind and you hear it on camera. And you know, he's just a vicious bastard in that scene, man. And it's it's hard to watch. Yeah, and, and you're stuck with that guy. He's your he's your protagonist for the rest of the right. movie. I mean, that's how the movie opens, and then you're thinking, all right, <laughs> where does it go from here? Because I'm, right. this is this is the guy I'm going to be following. Yeah, man, it's it's tough. So, American History X, uh, what I'm calling curb stomp, is my number one most cringeworthy movie moment. And that's it, man. Why don't you wrap up your top five over there, Julio? Remind everyone what they were. Yes. Uh, all right. So we started with uh, crazy, stupid love. Uh, mainly the the three stooges sequence, but really all the way till the end, it just mm-hmm. you just I watch it through my fingers. Uh, <laughs> number four, Garden State, uh, which I used to love, but not anymore. And it's uh, Natalie Portman trying to be unique, trying to show uh, Zach Braff how to be unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, Spider Man three, the dance down the street with the finger guns. Everybody can, everybody knows that one. Yep. Uh, Number two, also popular, Watchmen, Zack Snyder's masterpiece, uh, until you get to the sex scene between Night Owl and uh, the second Silk Spectre set to Hallelujah and climaxing in a fire-throwing uh, <laughs> shot. <laughs> wow, uh, man. <laughs> and then number one, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. Yeah. Poor Martha. It's wow. just It's a name that now lives in infamy. Yeah. You can't say Martha without thinking of that if you've watched the movie. You get a lot of Zack Snyder love over there on the cringy moments, huh? I do, and a lot of uh, superhero love, which I... I I got. I almost changed it up and moved some of my honorable mentions up, but really, you know, I need. I wanted to go big, uh, because most of these movies, uh, in my top five, they. I think that they most people have seen them, so yeah. they would understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I've uh, seen, I've seen, I've seen all yours. Yeah, I think they're all pretty popular. You're right. I guess Garden State's maybe kind of indie, so maybe not everyone's seen Garden State, but otherwise, I think you're you're probably right. So my top five. So my number five was the Needle Pit from Saw Two. My number four was the Poo Poo Scene from uh, Human Centipede. <laughs> my number three was the Zipper Mishap from Something About Mary. My number two was the Hobbling of Paul in Misery, and my number one was the Curb stomp scene in American History X. So, Julio, I'm going to see what the fans said over on social media, but before we do that, what were your honorable mentions for this category, buddy? Uh, honorable mentions, a little less popular. Some some might be. Um, I have, uh, from my number six, The Jesus Rolls, which just came out Mm. Last year, this year? Yeah, I didn't see that yet. I haven't. It, it came out this year, but uh, I haven't seen it yet. Avoid, but it's it, I, in this case. It, that's where I say the whole movie. Uh, it's just so weird. It's nothing. First of all, if you're expecting anything even slightly related to the Big Lebowski, forget about that because that, mm-hmm. the movie is not about that. It's uh, it takes the character of John Turturro and just goes somewhere completely different. It's just more like a road movie. It's really awkward. Mm-hmm. None of the humor landed for me. It has, uh, uh, oh my God, the actress from, from Amelie. Um, I remember her name, but she is, uh, you know, she's in it, which I was pretty excited about. And they have her just basically, she's... Uh, the big joke is that she can't have she's never had an orgasm and so through the entire movie she's constantly having sex with Torturo and uh, Bobby Cannavale and uh, and I guess the joke is that they're pretty terrible so they she can't have an orgasm it, it's oh mm. god the movie's so bad wow. it's just it has 
I've heard horrible things about it. Yeah, it has a crazy amount of cameos. Uh, Susan Sarandon shows up towards the third act, and you're like, wow, you're too good to be here. Everybody here is too good to, to, to be in that movie. It just doesn't work. I rented it because it was 99 cents um, mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime, and I still feel like I overpaid by 98 cents. <laughs> so. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Um, number seven, uh, this one, I don't know how many people have seen it. Uh, Friends with Kids. It's written and directed by Jennifer Westfield. Uh, yeah. It stars Jennifer Westfield and Adam Scott. I haven't seen it in a long time. I liked it a lot when I watched it in theaters until it got to the very, very end. Um, it's, you know, if you've seen a romantic comedy, you, you kind of, you know, there's it, not a big spoiler. But basically, they're friends. Uh, and in the group of friends that they have together, they share, you know, there's a lot of couples. And I, I think that the, from what I remember, there's just a sexual tension between them, but not really to where they, they can be a couple. She feels like he's not attracted to her in a sexual manner. And, uh, and so it's one of those comedies where, you know, they're best friends, but they're not a couple and they're surrounded by couples. And that's where most of the tension comes from. Uh, it builds up to the ending where they actually become a couple. Uh, and the big climatic moment the movie is, I think they're kissing and Adam Scott repeatedly tells her uh i think this is the right quote he says i want to fuck the shit out of you (laughs) several times (laughs) and it's like i get what they were going for they wanted to come uh, come at it in a in a kind of like a you know not what you see in your usual romantic comedy but at the same time they're trying to sell it to you as this very romantic moment and it just doesn't work it's oh, just the, the choice of words completely kills the moment. And coming from me. Adam Scott, too, that seems misplaced, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, number eight, I recently, uh, two nights ago, I watched Your Highness, uh-huh. uh, the stoner fantasy comedy from... Uh, yeah, uh, Danny McBride. Danny McBride, yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, I could pick any number of scenes from that, uh, from that movie, but really, uh, Toby Jones... I don't know if you're familiar with him. You know, he's in a bunch of things. He's a character actor. He's kind of like short guy with glasses. He was yeah. in, the, in the MCU. He was uh, Modoc, I think. Not Modoc, but, uh, you know, one of the uh, Red Skull henchmen. But anyway, his character in, in Your Highness, he's uh, he has white hair. He's dressed like some sort of priest. I don't know. He's... It just, I feel bad for him. I, I watch I watch him come on screen and I cringe. I was like, oh my God, Toby Jones. Because, you know, from James Franco, from uh, 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 McBride, you know, I expect this. I expect the, the kind of clowning around that they were doing. But when I see Toby Jones, like uh, somebody that I consider uh, a respected character actor, <laughs> they just kind of reduce them to a uh, just a visual joke. It's just bad. Like he, mm. he gets naked at some point and that's the joke. Uh, oh, wow. Yikes. Number nine, you might know this one. It's a David Wayne comedy, Wanderlust, with Paul mm-hmm. Rudd and uh, uh, Rachel from Friends. Uh, oh, my God. Jennifer what's her Anderson. name? Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene where uh, they, the whole point of the movie is that they become a part of this commune. Like these right, hippies right. adopt them. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a scene where, once again, Malin Ackerman coming back into this, this top ten. <laughs> uh, Paul Rudd. I guess Jennifer Aniston gave him the green light to have sex with, with Malin Ackerman, and he's trying to psych himself up to do it. So the scene starts with him practicing in front of the mirror how to how to talk dirty to her. Right. And that is bad enough. It, just seeing him... It, this is this is one of those where I would say this is cringe-worthy, but it, it kind of works because it makes me laugh. I just watched the scene earlier today, and I was cracking up. But he, he can't even finish the sentence every time that he starts talking. Uh, and it happens when he's talking himself to him in the mirror, and then it happens again when he's in front of uh, Malin Ackerman. And every attempt he makes at... Uh, trying to say something sexy in a dirty way, uh, he either can't finish or he he botches it terribly. Uh, he has a lot of trouble
trouble saying the word dick. It, he says, I'm going to get my d inside of you. <laughs> he can't even finish the word. It's, <laughs> right. it's really, it's cringeworthy, but in a good way. Uh, and then finally, okay. also a cringe that I, I believe was intentional is uh, in David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Oh, uh, okay. When, uh, when Hopper, when Dennis Hopper... Uh, is having sex with uh, uh, oh wow who's the is it Monica Bellucci the actress in Blue Velvet oh shit uh, yeah, Isabella Rossellini hang on yeah, it's Isabella Rossellini um, when he's having with uh, sex with Isabella Rossellini and it's you know the scene is just awkward to begin with it, there's a lot of it just while you're watching it you're not sure if you're watching some sort of a twisted role play or if you're witnessing actual abuse and then when he's done or while it's happening he calls her mommy several times it's just mm -hmm. you know it grosses you out it, it, again you watch it through your fingers yeah uh, it, it, but it's it's good it's a good movie it's just that yeah, you know I love, it's, it's I, Lynch. I love I love David Lynch I just haven't seen Blue Velvet in forever but I do love him so all right man so I'll round out my top 10 here Julio so my number six would be one that has not been mentioned yet but it's from Swingers oh, 1996 yeah. and it's the scene where John Favreau's character Mike meets a girl at a club and he gets her number and they he's kind of a down on his luck but he hits it off with her so he decides to, to call her and her answer machine <laughs> picks up but he in the first message he kind of leaves this really kind of endearing message you know like just the kind of standard like it was really cool to meet you I look forward to hanging out with you kind of message you know it was really endearing and uh you know you're kind of like oh cool you know this, this is this is gonna this is gonna work for him it's gonna be great and he's leaving his phone number to for her to call him back at the end of the message and it cuts off yep. the last the last digit cuts off so he's kind of paranoid that his number didn't that she didn't get his number so he calls back and the answer machine picks up and anyway he calls four or five times and he keeps like it keeps getting worse you know and by the, by the last message he's talking about how he's depressed and he's talking about his breakup from his other from his previous girlfriend and like he's just going on and on and on he's only met this girl for like five minutes at a bar you know and you're just like sitting there cringing going dude what did you do like you had it you were fine you know and the girl also picks up on the last message and she goes don't ever call me again and just hangs up <laughs> And he's like, oh, cool. I guess you're home. Yes. <laughs> so it's got the comedy in there, too. Uh, you already mentioned my number seven, which is Tobey Maguire's Finger Guns in Spider-Man 3. And then my number eight is a another movie that's really cringy based on the subject matter. So kind of similar to American History X, but it's a movie called Happiness from 1998. Oh, I've seen uh, it. Long time ago. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, I mean, at the end of the day, it's basically a movie about pedophilia and this, these two, these father figure characters and some fathers actually in the movie have this really deep, dark secret that they uh, are basically into child pornography. And in some cases they actually molest and have sex with young boys. And like, you know, not a lot of it's on camera, obviously for, you know, cinema, you know, for movie reasons, of course. Um, but it's all insinuated and it's all implied. And there's a scene in, in happiness when the, um, the main, the main father character. I'm trying to remember. Hang on a second. I can't remember. I think it's it Dylan Baker. Who Dylan was also Baker. Spider-Man Three. You're. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Dylan Baker. You're right. Philip Seymour Hoffman's really good in this movie too, by the way. Um. But yeah, Dylan Baker's like the main character, and 
we find out and he's about to be arrested. The cops are on the way to arrest him because it's finally out of the bag that he uh, has been molesting his son's friends uh, and his son's 11 years old and they've been coming over and the dad's been like taking advantage of them. And so they're coming to arrest him and he's having that final conversation with his son before, you know, presumably he's going to be going to prison forever or for a very long time. And he's having that conversation with his son that is going to be the last time he's probably going to talk to him. And, uh, you know, the son as at 11 years old, you don't really know. I, I can imagine you wouldn't really know what to grasp there. You know, it's his dad. Right. And uh, he doesn't understand, of course, because these were his friends and that's his dad and whatever. And the little boy asks him and this is quotes like this mm-hmm. is in the script. This is what he says. The 11 year old boy is like, Dad, would you fuck me, too? And Dylan Baker's like, no, I would probably just jerk off with you. <laughs> and you're like, oh, bro, where are the cops? Yep. Yep. Where are the police? Why haven't they taken him away yet? <laughs> Um, so that's very cringy uh, from a subject matter perspective, just the whole movie. But if you want to see an amazing performance, Philip Seymour Hoffman is incredible uh, in that movie. Uh, I think that, I mean, like I said, I haven't seen it again since, you know, probably when it came out. I don't know. I don't know if it ma- made it to Peru at the same time that it was opening here. But that's when I watched it, when I still lived there. And uh, I want to say I was in film school and that's how I got there. Like one of our teachers recommended it. But mm-hmm. uh, it was... I was pretty young, so I remember just at the time being very taken with just how bold it was, right? I mean, not just the, everything that, mm-hmm. you know, that you have one of your protagonists be a pedophile, and, but also that just that tonally, it was like a really dark comedy. Again, I haven't seen it forever, but from what I remember, when he is, uh, he's having that, uh, you know, his kids, uh, his son's friend over, isn't there a whole sort of, uh, not a comedy, but, you know, a whole sequence where he puts the, the drug that he uses to to uh to knock the kids out he puts it like on a glass of milk or something and then there's just like this mm-hmm. whole uh comedy of errors about like who's gonna drink that milk because it keeps getting passed around or the, the person that was supposed to drink it doesn't drink it it's just it's crazy right. that you would you know even attempt to have humor in this situation right but- right no it's it's and it's often dubbed as a dark comedy you know i don't I mean, I can't remember the last time I watched it in in full length, so I can't remember like if there were scenes that I laughed at or whatever. But I don't. To me, to me, it was just more of like this is something that and Todd Salons is the director here, and he's kind of known for these really kind of taboo subject matter in films that he directs or that he chooses to direct. But it was kind of like this is something that no one wants to talk about. But guess what? It happens. Like it happens every day. You know, it's sad to say, but I mean, pedophilia exists. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like child pornography exists and it's happening so to me that was almost the point of the film is like to try to give to try to shed some light on people because it's like just because you act like it's not there doesn't mean it's not there do you know what i mean and that's kind of what i thought the point of that movie was not really to be funny although what you're saying it did have kind of quirky moments in it that almost felt like they were out of place so i get i get what you're saying yeah it's in a i think there's like a long running uh say joke or gag there's one of the little kids or like a teenager a preteen or something that is constantly trying to masturbate but he never reaches climax and i think that that's like like the big thing in the movie towards the end, like because it's multiple stories, I think it's just that you actually see him like mm-hmm. climax, and it's just again 
the the idea that you would go there uh, either for comedic effect or just to just get a reaction out of people, you know, it's like it's Todd Solondz's equivalent of the the human centipede. It was like, okay, well, I'm gonna right. shock you with something that I haven't done before. In I so I remember just kind of being blown away by by that boldness when I was yeah, you know, I a teenager. I haven't watched it again as an adult, and I mm. I wonder what kind of reaction I would have. I would just be more put off than anything. Um, yeah, most likely. I mean, I haven't seen it in probably ten years, but I just remember that it stuck with me because it was so cringy but i don't know it was weird man because it was such a cringy relationship that he had with his son you know especially in that one scene that i was talking about but Mm -hmm. it was also like emotional at the same time because i mean you know he loves his son and and the son loves his dad and i have kids obviously so it's like an emotional moment between them but at the same time you're like arrest this asshole immediately (laughs) you know what i mean but you also kind of want them to have that moment just because you know that that's it you know it's the last time they're gonna they're gonna talk to each other so i don't know I just remember it kind of stuck with me because kind of like what you said, it's not what you would expect to get out of a movie with that kind of subject matter. So my number nine would have been a film from Japan called Audition, which is a horror, another horror film from 1999. And the final scene, did you ever see Audition? I've heard about it. So the final scene of this, basically the killer in the movie, which is a young Japanese girl uh, who is psychotic, basically ties this man, uh, the, the guy that she's been stalking, she ties him up and tortures him, basically. And there's a scene where she uses wire, like steel cable wire, to slice off his limbs. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. It's very, and they show it. Uh, Japan, does, <laughs> Japan does not give a shit, bro. They'll show you. Um, so it's scary. And then my number 10 is also uh, Severing of Limbs, so I apologize, but it's based on a true story, and it also stars Mr. James Franco that you were talking about earlier. Oh, yeah. But 127 Hours is the story of a man who gets stuck between two rocks while rock climbing, and his arm is stuck, so he has to eventually sever his own arm. Uh, he cuts it off so that he can free himself and survive. So um, that would be my, num- my number 10 from 127 hours. All right, man. So that was our cringiest movie moments. Did you cringe at all during mine when I was given any commentary? Yes. I. Uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't cringe with uh, There's Something About Mary because I, I that just made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, let's head over to social media and see what some of the fans had to say. We're running along here, Julio. So we'll try to do it as quickly as possible. Go for it. Okay, so we'll start over on Twitter, Julio. We only got a few over there. I'll just run down them real quick. Our buddy Wes at Via VHS says, Every line of dialogue with Anakin Skywalker in Attack of the Clones. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't mention Star Wars tonight. Um, But there's quite a few in, in these, actually, Star Wars related. Yeah, all the, all the love story, the love story between Padme and Anakin in Attack of the Clones. Yeah, yeah, I agree. yikes. Let's see. So, so Wizard Podcast says. Uh, so I asked, what was your cringe, cringiest movie moment? And he said, openly weeping in the theater over the episode one teaser. Unless you mean <laughs> actual movies, <laughs> then, then he's going to say, anytime Jedi rocks plays while watching Return of the Jedi, pure cringe. <laughs> And this is probably my favorite response, and he never actually gave feedback, but I want to give him a shout-out because I thought it was hilarious. Uh-huh. But Caleb from Netflix and Swill says, his cringiest moment is, whenever my wife asks me what's going on when I've been watching the same thing as her the whole time, and I also have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, let's see. Netflix and Swill. Hey, Caleb's buddy, Dan, says the entire runtime of Interstellar. Are you a fan Ooh. of Interstellar? I, I like it. I don't love it. Uh, mm. I have a friend that loves it. I constantly tease him about how he just needs to move on because he'll yeah, watch it all the okay. time. And I was like, ah, once was enough. It's fine. I mean, it, it's, it's to quote Dan, it's fine. 
yeah. I don't I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just kind of okay. I probably won't be revisiting it anytime soon. Uh, Word Salad Radio mentioned the remake of Ghostbusters, and here's what they did. So their top five is this: Aykroyd's cameo in the new <laughs> Ghostbusters, Potts's cameo in Ghostbusters, every McKinnon line in Ghostbusters, every Kristen Wiig line in Ghostbusters, and every Hemsworth line in Ghostbusters. So I, were you? I, what, what, how did you what did you think of the re- remake of Ghostbusters? I definitely disagree with the Hemsworth line. I, I thought he was funny. And, and he was I overall, good, yeah. yeah. I overall liked the movie. I didn't... Uh, I, I, I listened to their episode about it where they just destroyed it. And I understand where they're coming from, but I think that it's a combination of me... Uh, not having much of an emotional attachment to the the Ghostbusters movies. I think they're great. I like them. I find them entertaining. But uh, I didn't, you know, if you want to make a Ghostbusters movie, that's just, uh, uh, I don't see why, like, from a logistical point of view, that the the original Ghostbusters movies are any different than the new ones. I I think that they're better directed. uh, But as far as, you know, poking holes on, uh, you know, in the plot, eh. It's all about the same to me. I I'm just not crazy about uh, how improvisational this one feels. Uh, that's just Paul Feig's you know mm-hmm. mo mm-hmm. these days. But uh, but I guess I went in to watch it way after the fact. I watched it like I think last year or earlier this year finally, and mm-hmm. uh, I was expecting a total disaster based on the amount of, of negativity that had been thrown its way. But no, I found out like you know it was fine. Like I would I would watch a sequel right away. You know, especially if yeah. if they got a different director i i really like the cast and i think that they did they did well all, all things considered uh, it's mm-hmm. not you know a movie that i'll recommend to anyone but <laughs> right 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 yeah. i don't think you will either <laughs> that's how i like it uh let's see so we'll head over to facebook to wrap up guys if you have not joined up yet please check the show notes and join up to the facebook fan page as julio will tell you that's where i interact with our fans the most so heading over there our buddy marshall says anything from the saw series so, <laughs> there you so, go. So he's probably going to like my number five with the needle pit mentioned there. And we mentioned the office earlier. So Emily from the story behind said the Scott's Tots episode. She knows I it's love not. That episode. She knows it's not a movie, but she's right. I mean that is super cringy. Oh man, you feel so bad for those kids. Uh, let's see, Chris Yanny, patron of the show. Thank you so much, Chris. Here's what he listed. He's got. Well, first of all, he says f me for making him think of this stuff, which is kind of <laughs> what I was saying to you earlier when I was watching them on YouTube. But he says the American History X curb stomp. Oh, there you go. Uh, the conspiracy theory Mel having uh, eyes forced open. Clockwork Orange, the aversion therapy scene. Clive Owens' razor to the eye in Sin City. Huh. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah, that that's that that is. Ugh, I can't do. I can, can you do like things touching eyeballs? I can't do that. Uh, I used to wear contacts, so yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Patrick's got a gif of Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> I guess so. Um, our buddy Lauren Scott said, and I kind of had a little issue with her, but she says Kylo and Ray FaceTiming the whole time during the ninth movie. <laughs> <laughs> I told her I dug it. I said, hey, social distancing is important right now. Um, but yes, I guess, I don't know. Were you, what did you think of that? I, I didn't mind it, really. What did you I, think? I, of I don't mind the FaceTiming. My problems with episode nine are just... <laughs> Oh, they go beyond man. that. If yeah. I, I don't mind that, I, I mean, I don't even mind the relationship. I, I kind of like that they that you weren't sure if this was if you were watching a developing friendship or a developing romance until 
pretty close to the end. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, pretty much everything else about that movie doesn't work for me. Yeah, no, I feel that. Uh, buddy Matt Lewinsky's got another joke. He's following on Caleb's heels here, but he says every rom-com that his girlfriend's ever made him watch. <laughs> He's not a fan of rom-coms. Michael Hill, friend of the show, says the eclair scene from Van Wilder. Mm, yeah. Do you know which one that is? Do you want me to tell you? Uh, they fill it's it gross. up with uh, It's gross. They fill, they fill it up with dog semen is what they do. <laughs> And the dudes eat it, and I'm talking about they eat it like they eat it, man. It's like the cream's like coming out of their mouth and stuff, and they show it, they show close ups of them like licking their lips and shit. It's disgusting. Um, let's see, Dan Roski, new patron to the show. Thank you so much, Dan. He says when Marge meets Mike at the diner in Fargo. Oh, see, different oh, kind of cringe there. Yeah, different kind, but that's a good one. Uh, Julian says I don't like sand. <laughs> <laughs> More uh, Star Wars love there. Our buddy Paul over in Australia says he's kind of struggling with the topic, but he really hated the movie 1517 to Paris. And he says that's not really cringy, though. That's more rage-inducing. <laughs> All right. I'll just mention a couple more here that we have not mentioned yet. Tony Vandenbush, a good friend of the show, had a good one. She says the bathtub scene in A Quiet Place where she's, yeah. giving, she's giving birth in the bathtub and can't make a sound. Can you imagine that? I mean, I'm not a chick, but I can imagine that. would not be easy. Uh, you're you're giving birth to a human, so I imagine you probably want to get out some sounds there. Let's see. Uh, Sam from twenty uh, for movie reviews and twenty Qs says I don't like sand, uh, which is of course from Attack of the Clones. And then he also said when Edward says you better hold on tight, Spider Monkey from Twilight. <laughs> when Edward says that to Bella. Oh, man. Oh, and I'm going to wrap up with this one because I know you're going to like it. So, Julio, we got together um, with a few friends during live stream for The Cure, and we discussed this. But Dan says, I got a good one, the end of Sliver. <laughs> Pretty cringy, right? That's, yeah. Get a life. Yep. Get a life with the remote or whatever. Come on, guys. Yeah. So that was a good one from Dan over at uh, Netflix as well. Guys, thank you so much for the feedback. We got a ton over on Facebook for this topic, Julio. So obviously I don't have time to shout out everyone, but thank you so much to everyone that took the time to give feedback. Now, Julio uh, is a good friend of the show. He's been on before. He's going to be on again. Uh, Please check him out. Julio, why don't you tell him where they can find you guys over there, man? Uh, just look up The Contrarians on your podcatchers. Uh, you can go to our website, wearethecontrarians.com. Uh, on Twitter, uh, at Contrarian Prime. On Instagram, at Contrarian Prime. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. You get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, he, he has a great show, guys. Make sure you check it out because what they do is they take a... they. What do you say? You rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine? Yes. So they take a movie that has like 90% or whatever. It's like well-loved in the community. And they tell you why it's not a very good movie. And then they do the flip thing. If it's like a shitty movie on Rotten Tomatoes, like 20%, they'll tell you what's great about it. So, And then they kind of give you their real thoughts in the second half of the show. So I'm always kind of like on the edge of my seat. Like, is this really what they think? And then usually you come through for me, Julio, where I'm like, okay, thank God he doesn't hate it or whatever. So uh, thank you so much. But you guys have a great show. And I thank you so much for being here, man. This was a lot of fun, even though it was cringy. It was a lot, it was a lot of fun. So thank you so it much for being here. It was a fun man. kind of cringy. I mean, there is, we're one level removed, so I can laugh about all the cringy stuff, as opposed to when you're watching it and you just, you're just trapped there. Right, right. Well, give my best to Alex, man. I appreciate you being here, brother. I will thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, guys. So next week, we will be back with another top five and another P on the pod. Take care, guys.
toy, but I could be the boy you adore if you just let me know. Thank you for listening. Two Peas is an independent podcast. We rely on donations from our executive producers in order to release new content weekly. Please check the show notes for a current list of all of our executive producers. If you would like to join them to help us continue to release great content, please visit Two Peas on a Pod at patreon.com or check out the show notes for this episode. Again, we sincerely thank you for listening.